I'm Mel. And I'm Tosh. And welcome to another episode of Mahogany Mammology, an online dialogue pertaining to the concerns and carefree parenting of Black motherhood. Look, y'all, Valentine's Day, anniversary, Mother's Day. Birthday. Birthday. You know what? Baby shower. Whatever (laughs) you need to do to get a gift. I'm telling you, like, look, I got the cup, mug. I have the mug and I have the shirt. Tosh, I know you got the shirt. And the mug, actually. Oh, and Tosh got the mug, too. The big kind. Oh, she got the 15-ouncer. Yes. So what you need to do is go ahead, go ahead and go online and get your shirt and a mug. Get three four, five, whatever it takes. You know, you will have all of your Christmas gifts done, all the gift giving you done for the year. Join us on our website, mahoganymomology.com. And now, on to the show. All right. Menopause affects all women regardless of race or socioeconomic background. However, recent studies have shown the experience of menopause is different among racial groups. African-Americans have more estrogen-related symptoms, hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, uh, urine leakage, etc., than all other ethnic groups. Additionally, African-Americans are less likely to have uh, somatic symptoms such as headaches, difficulty sleeping, heart racing, stiffness, um, sores, uh, soreness in joints um, than all other ethnic groups. Unfortunately, when it comes time for menopause, menopause, you're also likely to have more intense symptoms than your uh, white peers. So we will talk in depth of the change of life, menopause, with our guest mammologist, Dr. Tiffany Woodis. Welcome, Dr. Woodis. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, do you mind telling telling the lovely folks um, a little bit about yourself, if you will, like, where did you study? What I mean, you're OBGYN, correct? I think no. Yes, okay. yes, I am an OBGYN. I'm from, I'm a country girl from Arkansas, and I was born and raised there. I was a preacher's kid, and went all the way through school there, um, including medical school at the University of Arkansas. Oh. And then when I graduated from medical school, I came here um, for residency um, at UT Southwestern Parkland Memorial Hospital in obstetrics and gynecology. Um, so finished my specialized training in OB-GYN at, during that time period and stayed on um, as faculty at the medical school. Um, so I was an assistant professor in obstetrics and gynecology and maternal fetal medicine, which is high-risk OB for approaching 10 years. Um, and then I stepped away from that position in January of 2019 to do what's called um, um, become a hospitalist. And so um, in the interim of all of this training, I got married to my husband of now nine years and had three little. So I have a kindergarten and three-year-old twins. And so life was crazy, hectic, but beautiful. Um, but I just got to the point where I needed to take a breath. So I stepped away from my clinic practice and became a hospitalist, which means that I do anything related to OBGYN that needs to happen in the hospital. I just don't have a clinic that a person can come to and be seen for an appointment. Oh, okay. Um, I like how she says yeah. stepped away. Like she'd like, you know, <laughs> back down her hours or something. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm still a doctor. I'm a hospitalist. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it just gives me more control of my schedule. So oh, okay. I, it's, it's shift work. So I know when I'm there, I can be in at 150%. And when I'm at home, my time is protected. Okay. Um, awesome. Yeah, whereas being in the clinic, it's just constant, nonstop, on call, you know, always something on your plate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just provided me a little bit more balance. And I've been doing that for the past year. 
Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, we're gonna dive into this thing called menopause. Um, yeah. I know it's 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 a thing. It's a real thing. Um, it is a thing. Gosh. <laughs> and so, why are women getting menopause at a younger age? I've heard well, this. Well, um, I guess we could start by talking about what what menopause is exactly. Sure. I, I know oh, a lot yeah. of people don't even really have a yeah a good understanding of what it is and. Um, to make it simple, it's, it's menopause is that time in your life when you naturally stop having periods. So, you know, by definition, it's when you have no more bleeding, no more periods for one whole year. Uh, and essentially what's happening in your body is your body stops making the hormones that control your menstrual cycle. So it stops down or decreases significantly the production of estrogen, uh, which is one of the important hormones for controlling your menstrual cycle for pregnancy. Uh, and it marks the end of your reproductive years, the normal babies mm-hmm. um, period. Yeah. Um, the average age of menopause is 51, but there are, you're right. There are some studies that show that um, African-American women do tend to experience menopausal symptoms earlier than our white counterparts. Um, and when you're just talking about the symptoms that are associated with menopause, so the things that we commonly hear about, hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, um, urinary tract changes, a lot of those things you can start to experience even in your 30s and 40s. Um, And there's some speculation. It's really all speculation, but we really don't know a whole lot about why black women tend to experience menopausal symptoms earlier than their white counterparts. And a lot of that is our fault. Uh, Sometimes the studies um, that that look into these things specifically focused on um, white women, so that information wasn't necessarily generalizable to women that look like us. And so we really can't um, look at those studies and, and really put our finger on why we might experience menopause sooner than our white counterparts. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, some folks have, have speculated that it has to do with the lower socioeconomic status. Um, there's been some studies that show that women from a lower socioeconomic status have a higher prevalence of menopausal symptoms at an earlier age. Um, some people have speculated that psychological stress and depressed mood might um, cause a woman to be more likely to experience menopausal symptoms. When you look at these studies, black women tend to um, express that they experience more uh, psychosocial stressors and um, endorse a depressed mood more so than their white counterparts. So some people speculate that that might play a role. Um, But ultimately, we don't have a good answer for that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was rejoicing earlier when you said no periods, but Hmm. then Tosh threw something at me. Um, No. (laughs) Because, I mean, is it a bad, like, menopause, is it a bad thing? Like, I feel like it's talked about like a disease. It sure does. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But I'm over here like, yay. Yeah, it has a bad rap. I agree with you. Um, but you know, I I'm kind of looking forward to the day. <laughs> right, girl. Let me, Josh. I'm saying I was rejoicing in the studio, and Tosh is giving me the oh, side yeah. eye. Oh yeah, so I'm looking forward to the day. I mean, it has to do with your perspective. I mean, if you are in a supportive relationship and you felt like you have um, accomplished some of your life goals, I mean, if you feel like you are comfortable with your family and you feel like your family is complete, so to speak. Um, and you're not in a situation where you're grieving your fertility, then I think that you're probably more likely to welcome that transition. But if you feel like some of your life goals, your personal goals may have gone unfulfilled, then it, you know, it might 
be a sour thing to you. Mm. So I think it has to do with your family structure, your goals and aspirations as well. Mm. Yeah. I just think maybe the symptoms as you're enduring them, you know, the process during. And like I said, since they're so intense for African-American women, you know, it's kind of like we don't want to or we've heard stories from other people who've been going through those symptoms um, in its intensity. And we're like, we're not looking forward to that because that might, who knows, you know, each Become person. Become a crazy person. Exactly. Each person re- responds to symptoms differently. So, you know, we feel like, eh, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Not that I'm not, I'm totally there, but. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're menopause. You think you're menopausal? Doc isn't even in the studio to diagnose you. I no, no. But like she mentioned, you know, there could be like one or two things. Not to say, you know, and and menopause. And correct me if I'm wrong, Doctor Woodis. I'm like mm-hmm. the menopause. It's not like okay, it happens in a month, you know, and then boom, you know, it's done. I I, I want to say like this. These things stretch out for like what? Can it stretch out? for like a year or so. It can stretch out for years. You're absolutely right. So there's this transition, this gray area that we call perimenopause. Peri means around menopause. And it starts to happen. These hormone changes start to happen in your 30s and 40s. And, you know, you can still be having menstrual cycles and start having hot flashes, start having night sweats um, with no other explanation. Now, there are these symptoms are general symptoms like a fever, so they can be associated with other things. Um, but if there is no other explanation, yes, you it is possible to start experiencing those symptoms in your 30s and 40s for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, and there, there can be some risk factors in terms of women who might go through those experiences sooner. For example, we know that women who smoke tend to uh, reach menopause sooner. Mm. We know that women who have had certain health struggles, for example, treatments for um, cancer treatments, chemotherapy, radiation, can diminish your ovarian reserve and make you start having menopausal symptoms earlier. Uh, women who have endocrine disorders or autoimmune diseases, so thyroid disease uh, or other autoimmune diseases, lupus, that type of thing, can also experience these symptoms earlier. Uh, but that's not specific to black versus white. That's just women in general. Gotcha. What are, yeah. what are I'm saying three, but what are some things that black women can do to get, say, get through, but like get through or reduce the anxiety and the stress over this experience of menopausal? You know, I think that we definitely need to be more comfortable with this dialogue. We've, we've looked at a few studies that show that we don't do a good job as healthcare providers asking these questions. Um, and alternatively, I think that from a patient's perspective, uh, we tend to, you know, ignore things, overlook things that are going on with our body, put everything else before ourselves, and we don't ask these questions of our physician. And I don't know if it's a, a matter of not feeling comfortable talking about these subjects. Um, or if we just are so focused on prioritizing everything and everyone else that we're just kind of putting ourselves um, to the wayside. I'm just not sure. Um, it's probably a little bit of both. We probably as physicians need to make sure that we are asking these questions uh, and not making assumptions. And then as patients, we probably need to make sure that we are going to get our information from reputable sources. There's been some studies that show that 
when you look at where women are getting their healthcare information, particularly on the subject of menopause, that white women tend to get their information from media, from magazines, from television, and black women tend to, you know, really rely on the, the information that they get from older ladies in their mm-hmm. families, from their family members versus a, a healthcare provider. So I think we probably need to start by educating ourselves. I think that we just need to do a better job with our communication on both sides, both the patient and the physician, um, need to be in a place where we can really sit down, have these conversations, not be afraid to ask our providers and not just ignore the symptoms, not just assume that, you know, this is a symptom that's common to every woman. This is what I'm supposed to be experiencing. No question is a silly question. Uh, I never want you to leave my clinic and not have a good understanding or not feel like all of your needs have been addressed. So definitely more communication is one really good thing that we can do. Cool. What What questions should doctors be asking their patients? Right. It's important to make sure that we're taking a thorough menstrual history from our patients, especially from an OB-GYN, but uh, your family physician, your internal medicine physician as well should be asking these questions. Um, I try to make sure I'm getting a broad range uh, or perspective uh, on women's health when I'm seeing a patient in my office because for women, a lot of times the only doctor we see consistently is our OB-GYN. A lot of times our OB-GYN has to step into the role of being your primary care physician as well. So we really need to make sure that we're taking a good menstrual history and looking for signs and symptoms that might indicate that a woman is approaching menopause. So for example, as you're getting closer to menopause, you start to experience a lot more menstrual irregularity. You go from what we would consider a normal cycle, which would be 25 to 35 days in interval, to maybe um, a shorter cycle or even longer intervals. Um, where you're going every other month, every couple of months in between your cycles. And along with that comes some of those symptoms. So really making sure that we're taking a good menstrual history and then taking it a step further because these symptoms are not necessarily problematic unless they are bothersome to the woman. So really Mm -hmm. trying to assess how bothersome is it to you because this is... The the hot flashes and the night sweats are not necessarily something that need medical treatment. So we talk about hormone replacement therapy. That's not necessarily a given that everyone needs that unless it's extremely bothersome to the woman. You know, are your symptoms so disruptive that you are up all night, not getting any rest, and then you can't function the next day? So you're not doing well on your job. Your interpersonal relationships are suffering because you're not resting. So we really just need to take the time, slow down. Not, not ignore our symptoms and then be diligent in asking um, the right questions and, and, uh, and, and getting answers for those things. Gotcha. You mentioned people don't have to take hormone, hormone replacement mm-hmm. therapy. What, mm-hmm. what is that for those of us who, you know, haven't gone through it yet or what is, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, so hormone therapy um, are medicines that can help relieve some of the symptoms of perimenopause and menopause, and it essentially means taking hormones like coestrogen or progesterone. It depends on the woman's specific situation, whether or not you need one or both, but they can really help with um, systemic symptoms like hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness. They also protect against bone loss, so some of the other symptoms that we start to experience as we go into menopause are bone loss. Um, because estrogen helps to protect our bones. So as we get older, we're at increased risk for bone break, bone fracture. So calcium um, becomes important as we get older. Um, And then we know that there's increased risk for things like heart attacks and strokes. So um, those are some of the benefits of hormone therapy. And and for the right woman, 
with the right health history, um, who has significant symptoms um, with hot flashes and vaginal dryness and hormone therapy may be something to consider. But for other women, it might be a matter of lifestyle changes that really helps to um, to um, deal with those things. So some of the things that are considered alternatives to hormone therapy might be dressing in layers so that, you know, when you have a hot flash, you could just take a layer of clothing off to make yourself more comfortable sleeping under a fan, um, you know, keeping a uh, cool compact with you, drinking cold drinks, exercising can help with some of these symptoms, uh, modifying your diet. So sometimes um, spicy foods um, can elicit more hot flashes. Um, some people Ooh. look for more natural oh. alternatives to spicy foods. Yeah. <laughs> you just, you just yeah. totally hurt my feelings. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely can play a role for sure. You mm -hmm. might just do a little experiment and just try taking one thing out or, you know, taking one thing on to see if it makes a difference if it's extremely bothersome to you. So it's not until, I always have people start with these conservative things and it's not until you have failed those things and you have not gotten relief that I would then look into talking about hormone therapy with a woman to yes. see if that makes sense for, for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mel, yeah. you, you had asked, to kind of piggyback off your question, um, what the doctors should be asking us, I guess. Yeah. What are we not asking you during our, you know, with these symptoms or just during this transition? Mm -hmm. I think we just make a lot of assumptions. And I feel like in talking to the older women in our families, we just assume that things are normal. You know, oh, this is just a normal transition with getting older. I'm supposed to leak a little bit of urine when I cough, laugh, and sneeze. That's normal. That happens to every woman. You know, I'm supposed to uh, maybe not be so interested in sex anymore. That's normal. That happens to every woman. Um, you know, these hot flashes is something I saw my, uh, my aunties deal with and my grandmother deal with, and that's just what happens. And we just don't think to, we just, we normalize it, and we just don't think to even bring it up um, because we don't see it as abnormal necessarily. Um, and it may not be, you know, it, it, this is a natural transition. It's not an illness. Um, but I think that we just are not even considering that, you know, there could possibly be a better way or we don't, you know, for women who have debilitating symptoms, you don't have to deal with it. You can and you deserve to get a good, good night's sleep and you don't necessarily see how it's affecting your interpersonal relationships or your performance on the job, your ability to concentrate and focus, you know, that type of thing. So I think that um, because we just prioritize everything else, we just put it to the side and, and it oftentimes doesn't even get mentioned. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. how, how do your conversations go? Like, do you need to involve, like, the other family members? I always feel like people, clearly their moods change, right? It's, or it sounds like people's mm -hmm. moods change. So mm -hmm. do you would recommend, like, therapy for, like, the family? Like, is that just going to extreme? Do people need that? Maybe in extreme cases. Um, sometimes it is helpful uh, to bring in, um, I sometimes call them an advocate, um, when you come to a healthcare provider's office, because a lot of times it's a nerve-wracking situation and just the experience of going to the doctor provokes anxiety. So, you know, if you suspect that something might be going on with you that maybe you can't thoroughly express, sometimes it helps to bring someone with you to talk through these things. I know um, a lot of times when you're going and you're getting information 
it's, it's hard to remember all of it. So sometimes bringing someone with you um, can help you kind of digest and process and remember, you know, um, I get a lot of patients and cousins with them and say, oh, yeah, don't forget to ask her about this, you know, um, and that kind of leads us down a whole nother path of, of things that I might not have thought to ask and a woman might not have thought to ask. So um, I would say we, we kind of take it in baby steps, you know, and we try to mm-hmm. talk through the situation and sometimes it's not an easy fix, you know, it, this is the type of thing that can be multi-layered. Um, we like to be able to put our thing on the one thing that's the cause of lots of problems, but a lot of times um, other factors are playing a role. And sometimes getting the other family members involved can help with that because if a woman is struggling with vaginal dryness and urinary tract changes, um, you know, having pain during intercourse, for example, or more vaginal infections, um, a lot of times talking with her partner um, and ex- and expressing that, you know, this is what's going on with her and them coming to the appointment with her to gain an insight and us talking through um, ways to approach this can be helpful on both sides. Um, so, yeah, sometimes getting um, your other family members involved can be very helpful. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is I don't know if this is a thing. Is there any hereditary connection between the the, the onset and the severity of the symptoms? I think in general, um, anything that runs in your family, you're at increased risk for, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the average age of menopause is 51. Um, but looking at if you have older sisters or if you know when your mother went through menopause, that's a better guide for you. Um, so if women in your family tend to experience menopause earlier, then yes, that probably increases your risk as well. Um, so yeah, I would say that mm-hmm. for sure that, that probably plays a factor. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you really have to know your family history. You really have to have that conversation. And I, why you roll your eyes? I'm just saying what the, just reiterating what, the, what the people need to know. Hmm. It's very important. It's mm-hmm. very important. We do in our community historically do a very bad job. Um, about passing down that history and talking through those things, we really do. What are what are some things that um, people could do? Like, do you recommend like the? Because I've noticed that like churches are getting more involved in like prostate cancer and breast cancer, right? So, do you recommend like churches do like small groups or health committees? What What like do you suggest? Yeah. That's, I think that's a good place to um, have these conversations, especially um, among women's groups, um, so that we can be better prepared and also making sure that we're arm, arming ourselves with adequate, adequate information, um, perhaps having speakers come and participate, um, you know, can, that can definitely be an opportunity for us to get information out to women and, and, and uh, make sure that we're reaching a lot of women and, and giving reliable sources of information and not just kind of hearsay. Um, yeah, I think that would be a good idea. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Are there, um, in terms of you kind of mentioned like resources and whatnot, if say there's not an available doctor who can come and speak to a women's group, are there certain books or... Um, Areas that people could research or use to to sit down and have a conversation with or tools that they can use? Yeah, there is um, a governing body for um, 
for obstetricians and gynecologists called um, ACOG, or it's the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. It's the largest group of women's healthcare physicians, so women uh, women's health specialists. And on their website, there is a plethora of information um, that is not just for clinicians and physicians, but also um, it has a list of frequently asked questions, mm. um, pamphlets, and uh, tools to help you understand some of these things. There are menopausal societies. Uh, there's the there's one called uh, NAMS, which is the North American Menopause Society. There's mm-hmm. actually an app. Yes, there's an app for that. There's an <laughs> app. <laughs> I just discovered this. Um, but there is an app on your smartphone where you can um, also get more information about this as well. Just downloaded the downloaded it the other day. In fact, um, so they also are a very reliable source of information. Um, of accurate information mm. in regards to menopause. So, yeah. Mm. What's that app called, Doc? What, what, what is it? It is. Let me look on my phone. Okay. Yes. Look while we speak. <laughs> it's called Menopro. M E N as in Nancy O Pro. Menopro. Hmm. Okay. Put that in the show notes. Yeah. Let folks know. Yep. Cool. And it has a portal for your healthcare provider, and it has a portal for you as a patient, and oh. lots and lots of information. Gotcha. Awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know as a provider, if this is an area that I really had to do some self learning. Um, even after training, I felt like it was one of the areas that we didn't get enough background and training in. Um, and so I, it, it really um, has to be self-directed on the part of the physician and the woman to really kind of take hold of this information and try to understand it and make it make sense um, because it definitely is an area that we could stand to see more research and more work put into. What are, um, mm-hmm. at this point, you know, um, are you doing classes and, and yourself as well? Like where can can people reach out to you and have in-person talks or are you just only in the, the hospital area? Well, this schedule has afforded me to be much more available to nice. doing things like this. So thank you again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I um, definitely am open to and, and do, you know, school um, um, health fairs or, or career day talks. And I've spoken at local churches um, so I can, um, I'm happy to reach out to, uh, to any group and to chat with you about anything as it relates to women's health. And you can reach me, um, on Instagram at, at Doc Wittis, um, or, um, you can email me at wittisobjen at gmail.com. Mm. Yeah. Very good. So when, when should people start getting checked? I mean, do they need to look at their symptoms and then start having the conversations? Cause like I'm in my forties, so. Do I need to be, is this a, like, do I need to start thinking about this right this second? I feel like I do need to think about it. No. I, I guess I it depends think, on my symptoms. I think, yeah, put it on your radar. You know, we encourage you to get a well woman's exam every year. So every year you should have a breast and pelvic exam. That's not to say that you have to have a pap smear every year. That depends on your health background. So definitely talk to your doctor about whether or not that's a necessary step. But you should definitely have a breast and pelvic exam every year. And during that well woman exam, your physician should cover this topic. They definitely should be asking you about your menstrual cycles, the symptoms you have as it relates to your menstrual cycles. 
um, any changes that you're experiencing, any concerns that you have. And that would be a great opportunity to start to talk about these things, to start to think about these things as well. Um, things that perhaps you could do to um, prevent and or treat uh, these symptoms starting conservatively with things like diet modifications, exercise modifications, um, that sort of thing. So absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you again, yeah. Dr. Woodis, for um, coming on and talking about this topic. I feel like it's like anything healthcare related, related to African-American women. It's a taboo or not well-researched, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, discussion that, that needs to be had. So again, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. I and we will mm-hmm. we will include all of that information, the app and the other um, societies in our show notes. But we can continue the conversation through our listener comments and questions in our Facebook group. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can also email us at mahoganymomology at gmail.com. Don't forget to get your t-shirt and mug on our website, mahoganymomology.com. Until next time, I'm Tosh. And I'm Mel. And we thank you for listening to Mahogany Mammology. Bye-bye.